Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of uh, Intentwise Connect podcast. I have the pleasure of uh, hosting Martin Hebel. He's a consultant based out of London. He's an ex-Amazoner, works a lot with 1P brands, um, with a huge focus on margins and profitability, which is uh, a topic for our conversation today. Martin, thank you for joining. Thanks, Fernand, for having me. Um, yeah, and uh, thanks, obviously, also for bringing uh, a lot of the updated news of our industry um, to your audience. Yeah. Uh, for everyone who doesn't know who I am, my name is Martin Heubel. Um, I'm an e-commerce strategy consultant. As you already said, I work primarily with vendors or brands selling via Vendor Central and help them, A, make obviously sense of the ever more increasingly complex becoming world of Amazon, but then also bringing the pieces together in order to ensure that um, brands can do it in the most profitable way possible. Yep. And uh, just a quick intro on myself uh, in TenWise. So I'm one of the founders and CEO here in TenWise. Um, you know, we try to bring on guests like Martin and try to get unique and different persp in-depth perspectives uh, on our space to our ecosystem. And in TenWise itself, uh, we are an analytics platform offering primarily two solutions. One is a data automation and analytics platform for all things Amazon and e-commerce data, including integrations with Amazon Marketing Cloud. It's called Intentwise Analytics Cloud. And the other is a retail media optimization platform called Intentwise Ad Optimizer, where we work with Amazon, Walmart, Instacart, and a number of other retailers. So that's just a little bit on Intentwise. But uh, I am excited about today's topic. Um, centers a lot around profitability, which has been a huge focus all through the year. COVID and post-COVID emphasis on growth has now shifting to margin preservation and you know building a business in a sustainable way. Um, what uh, you know, first of all, um, I follow a ton of Martin's content. If you don't already follow him, you should now. <laughs> uh, you know, one of the few people putting out a ton of great stuff, uh, especially on One P. Um, today's topic really is about understanding hidden costs that impact P&Ls of brands. And this is something uh, Martin spends all day thinking about. So, so let's, uh, let's uh, dig into this. Um, Martin, I think, let me just start out asking you, uh, what, does, what does hidden costs actually mean? How does that impact brands? And we'll dig deeper after that. Yeah, for sure. Well, look, I think, if you're a brand selling to Amazon, no matter whether you're on the seller central or vendor central model, you of course are aware of all of your profit margin and kind of really line level items um, that you have as part of your P&L. But there are some parts, especially on vendor central, that often go unnoticed for all kinds of reasons, different teams looking after different parts of the P&L, um, as well as sometimes also the time delay of when certain things in your PL start to change when working with Amazon. Um, the online retailer is quite unique in its setup and also in terms of its financial processes, especially when you are here in Europe, where a lot of the US standards of your accounting are getting kind of uh, mixed up with how the way Amazon does things. And Thereby, it's really important to kind of look beneath the surface or underneath the surface, actually, and to understand, okay, what are the hidden cost components that accumulate in my P&L that I may have missed in the first place when I'm just looking at my gross and net margins? And you would be surprised how many, especially large multinational brands, get caught off guard 
because after they already closed their financial year, some kind of audit comes in from the Amazon team and they're kind of creating new agreements or they are not paying the invoices as intended. And that can really lead to a lot of friction, especially all the way up to the CFO of a company when you have to explain to them why the PL is in actually a much worse shape than you originally anticipated it to be. And then just like just double clicking into that, what forms do these surprises take? Like perhaps a few specific examples. Yeah, sure. Um, you know, as you work with brands. So can you elaborate on that a little bit? Of course. So there are typically two types of these hidden cost components that are again structured into subtypes. And I would say the first key type are financial disputes. So if you're a brand to Amazon, you will be no stranger to things like chargebacks. So Amazon's penalty charges for prepping products before they go out for delivery to end shoppers or your late deliveries when you're confirming a purchasing order but not delivering them in the original original time frame. Yes. Then you have things like shortages where Amazon thinks you as a vendor have delivered less than you invoiced Amazon for and you have price variances. So this is really where uh, the cost price in Amazon's catalog is misaligned with the invoice um, of the cost price that uh, you would like to invoice Amazon again. Um, up to things like co-op deductions. Here, Amazon really deducts co-op agreements, sometimes also erroneously, either because of an incorrect agreement setup or because um, the brand owes more money to Amazon than the total outstanding invoice amount for yeah. delivered product volumes to Amazon. And then Amazon follows kind of a principle where it doesn't really want to be owed money and rather deducts it from your accounts, which can, again, be a little bit frictionful. Yeah. And the second key type of those financial disputes are typically process innovation defects. And mm. what I mean by that is that you may need to look even beyond the account level profitability or product level profitability in order to assess how much your operation, your Amazon operation, really costs to your organization. Mm. This could be things like added headcount because you actually have more and more shortages or financial disputes the more your account your the more your account grows and thereby you also need to head add headcount into your financial department in order to kind of deal with all of this um, bulk of disputes that are accumulating mm. and this is often going hand in hand with also kind of a lack of automation where brands rather add more headcount, whereas there's an opportunity to automate it, which again creeps into your profit and margin statement or profit and loss statement. Mm -hmm. um, and often goes unnoticed until it's such a large chunk that it becomes very hard to kind of address in one go and you have to kind of use an iterative approach, whereas you could have stopped it in its tracks when it wasn't necessarily an issue and wasn't a huge cost center in the first place. So financial disputes and Process innovation defects. And just so that I understand Correct. this, the process innovation defects that you're talking about is really on the brand side, not necessarily on the Amazon side. And the amount of investment they unknowingly or inadvertently keep making and increasing just to deal with the channel overall. Right, right. For sure. I mean, it can be on the brand side. It can also be slightly um, on the Amazon side in the way that, of course, if you have processes that lead to chargebacks or to shortages, and you're not addressing them, then of course, this is also some kind of form where you have a process innovation defect. But I wouldn't call it so hidden because typically those charges over time become very apparent and yeah. your teams are usually very aware of having to address them over the short to long term. Yeah. So just based on what you described, right, is this 
is this a problem of larger brands or do you see this uh, <laughs> an issue with all, all, all brands of all sizes? What do you well, see? I would say, I would, I would say with Amazon, you have a unique piece that no matter how big or small your business is, the problems don't necessarily change and the challenges do neither. Um, they just become larger in terms of scale the more you grow in the account. So a business that makes a million US dollars in revenue per year with Amazon has kind of the same challenges than a business that does 100 million a year with Amazon. The key difference is that, of course, the actual sum uh, of the money that is owed to you and sometimes erroneously deducted from your account is obviously weighting much more heavily from an absolute number point of view. But the relative challenge um, compared to your overall business size typically stays the same. A couple more questions on the financial disputes aspect. Right? Is this a data transparency issue? Or is it that the data and information is all there, but it's more a, a rigor and discipline and analytics sophistication issue? Which one is it? I think it's twofold. Because on the one hand, technically, you have a lot of data um, that are available. But of yeah. course, Amazon has no intrinsic interest to give them to you in a very structured way so that you can address them holistically right off the bat. Because, sure. of course, Amazon also doesn't want you to really have a transparent overview where they may have made a mistake. So yes, you can get the data from different sources and through different APIs or even kind of through your own data sources in SAP, for example. But yeah. it takes a lot of effort to get them together. And this yeah. brings me on to the second point where fractional ownership of the P&L is often the cause of why these P&L cost centers are hidden in the first place. Because think about the following, like your sales team doesn't necessarily have an overview of the financial challenges unless they are escalated to them. Mm. Your finance team doesn't know what processes lead to chargebacks or financial misalignment in the first place. They just see an invoice not being paid. And your yep. logistics team, who owns the processes that lead to chargebacks later onwards, they have no ownership over a lot of the processes that are leading to these um, P&L changes. And yeah. they don't have access to the P&L account. So this is a challenge. And if you don't have a kind of mechanism in your organization where you bring all of these three or more functions together to review the P&L together and also to understand what the originating root cause of it is, yeah. then you will have a very hard time to addressing them because... At the end of the day, everyone just sees a part of the PL that they directly kind of affect, but nobody yeah. brings it together up until the time your CFO looks at the kind of uh, PL statement and asks critical questions, but oftentimes to the wrong people. Understood. Yeah. So basically, data organization, even if data were available, is a lot of effort. And I like the phrase fractional ownership. Well, I think this whole fractional ownership thing impacts a lot of stuff, right? Like even in advertising, you know, uh, spending ad dollars on products that are low in inventory, for example, right? Often that's because of yeah. fractional ownership, right? So, I mean, there's just so many use cases like that. The thing that has always intrigued me is that is fractional ownership an issue just with Amazon or has it always been an issue with all channels or is there something unique about the Amazon channel that just makes this much more pronounced? It really depends on the life cycle of a brand, I would say, because of course, I mean, Amazon is kind of similar to your offline bricks and mortar retailer where a lot of resources are spent on in most mature kind of um, yeah, retailers and retail organizations that have a history in bricks and mortar as well. 
Now, it's different for digitally native and digitally born brands that have never really sold to bricks and mortar, but are native to the Amazon or online platform. Here it's yeah. different. But in those more traditional organizations, this factional ownership is more apparent, um, in my experience at least, in the um, in the e-commerce segment, because also the revenues have historically been smaller. So you yeah. see the maturity level typically evolve the more Amazon and online the online channel in general makes up on the of the total revenue that an organization generates. Yeah. And if your CFO actually sees that, hold on a second, we have critical defects here on an yeah. account that makes up 16 to 20% of our revenue, then of course the structures of and the resources that a finance or logistics team spent on these defects is proportionally higher as compared to an Amazon where right now in many cases especially in consumed um, consumer goods categories the revenue share of amazon is still relatively small compared to the tesco's the walmart's and the targets of the world sure got you yeah i mean we can talk about fractional ownership forever and <laughs> all of the issues that causes um i have to ask you you work with a number of 1p do you work with 1p and 3p brands or is, is your Focus your consultancy is focused primarily 1P. Mostly 1P. I do touch upon 3P if that question is, okay, is there a round business case to kind of move certain selection from one way to or one business model to the other? Um, yeah. Or what kind of uh, strategies can fall into place if a brand wants to um, distribute um, via both platforms? So this is certainly where I come in. Um, but other than that, it's typically 1P vendors that kind of want to review their account. So I run a lot of audits or that need dedicated help for their annual vendor negotiation, particularly in the preparation, but then also in the execution um, of them. Yeah, um, makes sense. Uh, the vendor negotiations part, right? <laughs> so much chatter is about AI. What have you seen happen on the AVN side? You know, is it still people? Or, is it <laughs> <laughs> or what do you foresee happen there? It's a very interesting time, I would say. I mean, the overstate of what can happen in a year or two, I think the underestimate is a typical saying of what will happen in the next five to 10 years. Sure. So no, I don't foresee that brands will lose access to a vendor manager short term. Um, and if that is the case, um, or if you have lost your vendor manager recently, it has more to do with the recent round of layoffs. Yeah. Um, Amazon is no stranger to AI. Uh, they already use it extensively for yeah. their mass vendor managed uh, brands uh, that are falling into this, what Amazon calls vendor success program. Here, yeah. once a year in Vendor Central, a pop-up comes up and says, look, it's time to negotiate your terms. Either you give me 2% more co-op deductions or you give me 2% of the damage allowance. You decide. If yeah. you don't like it, you can open a case and then negotiate via email with kind of a vendor uh, associate. Yeah. Um, however, the large brands, right? I mean, if you think of the Nikes of the world, if you think about Sony, Apple, whoever it is, um, those still require Amazon to have a dedicated buyer to manage and also navigate the commercial terms agreements, uh, at least for the foreseeable future. Um, do, will we have a 1P dedicated account manager in 2030? Probably not. Probably a lot of, especially the operational day-to-day -day tasks will be taken care by either an AI or by offshore teams on Amazon's and the brand side, because it just makes more financial sense. Yeah. But up until this point, I think we will still be heavily reliant on those manual negotiations. But you're absolutely right. AI will play a transformative role in them. 
and the repetitiveness and the resource intensity that a lot of brands face when they prepare and also conduct their negotiation is of course a strong motivating factor to automate as much as possible alongside this process. Makes sense. Prime Day is coming up, or Prime Day is next week. What have you told uh, 1P brands in terms of best practices and guidance when it comes to, again, margin preservation or dealing with any hidden costs, uh, perhaps specific to Prime Day? Yeah, there's so much to cover. Well, I'll keep it short and focused. The first thing, because now it's anyways way too late to negotiate your terms for Prime Day, yeah. prioritize your inventory allocation to Amazon to capitalize on the halo effect. Because of mm -hmm. course, if you have a well-running machine, especially when it comes to deal events, you want to ensure that the halo effect, so the slightly higher sales rank that you may get afterwards, is not interrupted by not having the inventory available. So make sure that when you have the choice of delivering to Amazon versus other retailers, even though those may be a little bit more profitable, you still prioritize the online channel and Amazon in particular, because of course, if you're losing out on availability, you're losing also the kind of push that this deal has given you. And going forward, I think a lot of brands are very stubbornly focused, um, also because it's the kind of tried and truth methodology to focus on price discounts. But I think we are in an age where profit margins need to be preserved and we need to become a little bit more smart about how we run deals also post Prime Day towards the fourth quarter period, where I would strongly encourage a more retention-based customer sales strategy instead. So for brands, especially in consumer goods categories, think of coupons or subscribe and save-based incentives that you activate on the product detail page instead of just giving out a sales discount where customers are being educated to just stock up on your product that they would have bought anyways on a monthly period. Yeah. And what I would also strongly encourage brands to really look out for, especially towards the latter half of the fourth quarter, is for personalized deal types that Amazon is supposed to launch soon. Mm. Um, it's already live in a beta uh, in the US where Amazon experiments with giving brands the opportunity to grant custom coupons for returning shoppers. And that's, of course, a very extremely interesting proposition, um, especially for brands that work with very tight margins um, yeah. and are looking to improve the return on their investment during promotional periods. So definitely keep your eyes peeled for that. And if you're in the position to have some extra budget available, definitely make sure that you test and learn early onwards with them because this will also allow you to reduce your exposure from these sales discounts that are spread towards all customers and sometimes even customers that are not loyal to your brand at all. So personalized deal types as in like specific discount at an individual shopper level. Correct. So Amazon is supposed to offer brands the opportunity to now specifically target customers who have already purchased a product from your brand, for example, or from your account, which yeah. you can then retarget and offer a little bit of a discount when they return to the shopping page, especially for a replenishable product. This is obviously highly attractive because the customer comes back anyways and yeah. wants to maybe fill up on a certain item. And if they are already part of subscribe and save, even better, then you can target them with more unique codes that are available for returning customers after a certain time period, but not for everyone who just signed up for it. Yeah. And I think this will bring us into an era where, of course, brands can become much more sophisticated, similar to how Amazon advertising has become much more sophisticated over the last few years when it comes to the deal strategy that was quite static up until now. I mean, 
that just sounds incredibly exciting actually <laughs> as absolutely a, yeah. as a, as a marketing lever uh and in terms of activation of of the of of those deal types is that happening through just vendor central seller central or so for now it will be by a vendor central okay um of course i mean i wouldn't be surprised if amazon is tinkering with the opportunity to also link that more towards your amazon advertising account right because yeah. it makes sense that you then also proactively target those customers in order to bring them to the detail page to yeah. activate a coupon or to kind of get the reward that you've advertised to them um, yeah. but it's early days again amazon is just starting to become more sophisticated in that way similar to how amazon will also personalize the experience during prime day during black friday more and more when you go on their homepage and you see yeah. customized deals that are tailored for you and it's similar to a feed on social media where you get kind of the the content um, that you have liked in the past and that you have purchased from in the past Amazon is really in this transformational period where they want to become the everything store that becomes a little bit more sophisticated in the way they display all of these deals for you. Um, and while it's not available across the globe yet, especially if you're in the US, try to kind of work with your vendor manager to get access to these tools early onwards. And if you're in Europe, just keep your eyes peeled because there's a high chance that Amazon is trying to launch this at a larger scale or wider scale across regions also prior to the fourth quarter because of course it is a massive marketing opportunity where i think i couldn't think of a brand that is would not be willing to invest in it so of yeah. course it's almost a no-brainer for them it just needs to be i think uh, uh um, um driven by you know reasonably good customer analytics right and yeah. then um and yeah, we've seen Amazon move into that direction with the rapid retail analytics dashboard that was recently yeah. announced. Correct. So you already see that I think the emphasis of account managers for and on those deal periods, such as now Prime Day, has significantly increased because, of course, the feedback that they get from a lot of brands is also that, look, if we do not get the real-time sales data reports, how are we supposed to kind of put fuel onto the fire if something works? Well, how yeah. do we know when we need to pull back from certain activations when we see that they don't kind of relate and also resonate with the end shopper? Um, so I would say, given that we are coming out of this pandemic-induced growth period, Amazon now really has to show its muscles a little bit and really capitalizes on its strength in order to ensure that brands don't lose the interest on activating their products also on its platform. Yeah, and I wouldn't be surprised if all of that data also makes it into Amazon Marketing Cloud and where yeah. you could kind of stitch it all together. Yeah, and the retail analytics is an interesting one. I mean, we, on the internalized side, we certainly have integrated with that, and that's another data source we support. Uh, the crazy thing about it is the most exciting thing about that is like, look, my data is usually a few days late. Now I can get it yeah. now. Yeah. Oh, that's exciting. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, very cool. Um, back to this topic of hidden costs, you know, again, just to summarize, you put those in two buckets, financial disputes, and process innovation defects. Um, let's talk about best practices, right? If I were a brand listening to this, what should I do? What should I put my energy into to just really getting good at managing these hidden costs or at least understanding these hidden costs? Yeah, absolutely. Well, look, I think it always starts with data transparency. So ensure that you have an up-to-date dashboard and that you also utilize the APIs that Amazon offers to you in order yeah. to get the data points that you need. Um, those include 
co-op billing details, so the agreements, invoice IDs, of course, also the purchasing order and ASIN codes, so that you can reconcile how much has Amazon paid me in an invoice and how much should I get paid for. Yeah. Then you can also access dispute data, so your dispute IDs um, and the invoice and PO numbers that are associated to it to understand, okay, what is the status of any dispute that my team has raised? So how much of money owed is still outstanding or in a dispute status? And then you get also remittance and invoice data that you can pull from Amazon directly. And ideally, you, of course, have a dashboard or you create one where you have all of these data points in one place to really inform the actions and the outstanding um, amounts that Amazon owes you. And once you have this level of data transparency, the next question is really, okay, what is the root cause of it? And mm -hmm. for that, you need to bring your teams together. As we discussed, um, then you have chargebacks or shortages. It's not enough to just tell your sales team to escalate and to get that money back. You also need to bring in your teams from ideally finance, but also your logistics teams first and foremost, because they own the processes that lead to those defects in the first place. And your sales and commercial team can then facilitate the discussion to get the support from Amazon, such as an Amazon vendor service brand specialist or a dedicated consultant that comes in for up to six months and helps you as a brand um, to get these defects sorted. Yeah. Um, so it really comes down to data transparency, getting the teams together, understanding the root cause, and then creating processes that reiterate this process altogether. Because once you have cleared your disputes, so your shortages and chargeback disputes, for example, like let me reassure you, even if you have the best process in the world, there may be hiccups, especially during busy quarters like the fourth quarter. We will need to revisit um, how your account looks like so that you, again, don't accumulate new hidden cost centers um, beyond that. Um, so regular business reviews are certainly forming part of that cycle as well um, to ensure that at least on a monthly or quarterly level, you come together with the individual functions, sales, finance, and logistics to really review the health of not only the account, but the P&L that is linked to the Amazon account. And you kind of define the priorities on what the kind of key areas are that need to be improved going forward, whether this is the disputing process, so whether you need to outsource that to a solution service provider in order to not accumulate more headcount, or okay. whether this is to bring in a consultant or a consultancy firm to help you to fix certain operational defects that may sit in your logistics processes, where you may also sometimes need to upgrade your IT equipment in order to automate it a little bit better. Um, yeah. It always comes really down to the individual challenge at hand, so to say. But with those three steps, data transparency, getting everyone together, and then facilitating the process of business reviews, it really helps to drive the change that is needed and to ensure that there's no hidden cost center in your P&L that uh, comes in your way when you're closing the books at the end of the year. So technology, which is kind of data transparency, people, and I'm assuming it's like assigning the right ownership around this too, right? People just don't get together on anything, you know? Of course. <laughs> there always need to be also follow-ups defined, right. right? And this is what happens really in this business review. So you look at the challenge at hand, you are identifying the root cause, and then you also address forward-looking who is doing what in order to address the challenge. And then in the months after or quarter after, you come together and you see, okay, has the trend reversed if it was a negative one? Or were you able to even keep it steady or reinforce it if it was already going into the right direction. And based on the KPIs that you then define for your individual business case, you can obviously also then track the progress very well 
couple of KPIs could be, okay, what is the total uh, number or the total amount of financial disputes with Amazon relative to your shipped revenue with the account? And if you are able to bring that down consistently to the average that you may have with your other retail partners, then of course, you also have a good internal benchmark that you can use and keep your teams accountable at. I should have asked this earlier in the conversation. If I'm a brand, if, I, if my question is, why should I really care? Right? Like, uh, is, is there a way to, in, just anecdotally in your experience, like what percentage of overall cost could these hidden costs make up? Like any, any numbers? Just yeah, so that we question. shine the light on why someone should care. So personally, as a consultant, I've seen it gone, go up all the way to 10 to 15% of the overall revenue that financial disputes accounted for. Now, if you're thinking about a 10 million business with Amazon on an annualized basis, you quickly see how big of a problem this can become. And if you have 1.5 million in financial disputes with Amazon and you have no defined processes to get that money back with a certain level of confidence, then of course, I mean, you will only be able to grow your business for so long before you have to shut the doors with or on your business in the first place. So addressing it is really critical. And at least even if you think it's not a problem, I would encourage you as a business leader just to go to your functional leads and ask them for the actual number. So how high is our accumulated financial dispute amount with Amazon relative to our annual turnover? And if that percentage is higher than 3%, there is some work to do in order to understand what is the root cause and is there any way to fix it because typically the relative percentage um, of those financial disputes with your other retailers are very likely to be below this number. Oh, wow. Okay. So that's a great question. So the key question to ask, I'll just repeat this. <laughs> How high is your accumulated financial dispute compared to your overall revenue? Correct. And then the threshold is 3%. And what you're saying is most other retailers are below that and... Yeah, yeah, it's usually a good benchmark if you look sure. across categories. Of course, there are some kind of um, discrepancies if you zoom in into one specific category like grocery, where sometimes there are other hiccups um, along the way, especially when you um, deal with products that have a very short shelf life. Um, but in general, the 3% is a good benchmark. Um, if it's below, great. I mean, keep an eye on it and ensure that it doesn't grow. Of course, you can spend some uh, resources on fixing it as well. Um, sure. But the biggest return on investment will be seen if it is above 30%, um, because then you also have a sizable opportunity to dive into the issues and really like enhance your profit margin sustainably. sustainably. Sounds like a, it should be a widget on anyone's main dashboard and watch that percent. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> awesome. Well, uh, Martin, this has been extremely helpful. I've been educated. Thank you so much. Please continue to put out that great content, uh, you know, <laughs> uh, and again, uh, for anyone that's listening to this, please follow Martin um, and certainly on social media, LinkedIn. Um, and again, um, wish you well for Prime Day. I'm sure we're working with a ton of brands around that. And thank you for joining. Thank you for having me. And until next time, appreciate it. Yep. Take care. Thank you for listening. Check out the past episodes of Intendwise Connect at intendwise.com slash podcast.